Welcome back to the Religionless Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Jeff Turner. Today we have with us special guest, Matthew J. DiStefano, one of the hosts on the podcast, The Heretic Happy Hour, as well as the host of his own podcast, Apostates Anonymous. He is the author of many books. I'm not exactly sure how many titles he's authored at this point, but many, many good ones, one of which I was very privileged to have written the foreword for, From the Blood of Abel, an absolutely fantastic book on uh, mimetic theory, uh, a lot of Girardian thoughts on the origins of violence, their connections to religion, etc. Um, also author of the book Heretic, which you may very well have heard of. Um, a lot of good stuff. Anyways, today he and I get together and we talk about his own deconstruction story and just a host of other things that only really come up when two world-class apostates like ourselves get together. So anyways, it was a really fun conversation to have and I hope it's equally fun for you to listen to, and I hope you get something from it as well. Before we go into the conversation, though, I do want to um, ask you to go ahead and go on over to patreon.com forward slash religionless. And if you support the show, if you love what it is that we're doing, if you have in any way, shape, or form been encouraged by this, um, I want to encourage you to become a member, become a partner with us monthly. You can give as little as $1 a month all the way up to $500 a month. We still haven't filled one of those $500 slots, but friends, it's 2021, and you could be the first one. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that would be a really... It would be a really big deal. Um, yeah, but you can become a, a, a supporter at any level. Um, there's a lot of different perks that come with being a Patreon supporter, uh, one of which is you get the podcast a week before everyone else gets the podcast. Um, in the coming weeks when I'm recording some new episodes, I'm also going to be recording some additional content with uh, the interviewees that will be available, again, only to Patreon supporters. So there's that. There's a lot of other things. I'm also working right now on a patrons-only devotional podcast where I will be publishing, um, again, material just for our patrons, just as a way of saying thank you for keeping us doing what we're doing, where I'll just kind of be sharing my own thoughts, some of the things, uh, uh, thoughts on spirituality, theology, philosophy, just whatever it is kind of that's going through my head that day that I think um, may be of benefit to you, I'm going to be sharing in this separate patrons-only devotional podcast. Also, we are going to be um, uh, giving members of all tiers access to a patrons-only Discord server, which is just a space where you can have conversations with other like-minded individuals on things pertaining to deconstruction, spirituality, and really whatever the heck we want to talk about. The conversations are all private and protected, so you don't have to worry about any of this getting out to your aunt or whomever it is that you're afraid to talk about some of these matters in front of. So go ahead and check out patreon.com forward slash religionless. Again, it is how we keep doing what we do, and it is absolutely beyond appreciated when anyone joins. And don't think becoming a member for like a dollar or two dollars or three dollars a month doesn't mean anything. It really means a lot. Those add up, and you know, most of 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 our supporters are somewhere in that range. And when those come together, it really equals out to something pretty big and it keeps us, again, doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. Go ahead and check that out. And um, yeah, that's about all the intros I have. So without any further ado, I take you into this wonderful conversation uh, with my friend, Matthew J. DiStefano. Enjoy. All right. Hey, Matthew, how are you tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for being here with us, man. It's... uh this has been something we've been talking about doing for a very long time since about March pre-COVID era. We've been trying to uh, uh, set something up and have you on here, and I'm I'm uh, I'm just glad you could make it work tonight. So, 
Yeah, and we and we go way back because uh, you were kind enough to write the foreword for one of my books, and it was brilliant, as all your work is. So um, it's nice to talk to you, uh, quote unquote, face to face, or I guess um, over over the old interweb. I would say mouth to ear, but that sounds odd. Uh, that, it sounds a little weird, but we'll, it we does, can go with yeah, that too. We, we can go with it. We can go with it. But yeah, man, but it's so good to have you on. And yeah, you know, speaking of your books, you are the author. That, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is Matthew DiStefano. Uh, for the, throughout the interview, you prefer Matthew or Matt, or do you have a preference? Oh, I don't care. Either one. Okay. Okay. But if you're looking it up on Amazon, it will be Matthew, correct? Like Matthew J. Distefano. Matthew, yeah, for, for some reason, when I first published, I went with the middle initial. I thought it sounded kind of official and cool. So I went with it. I don't know why. It does sound official and cool. In fact, I'm thinking of, for my future writings, going with Jeff R. Turner, because I've discovered there's several other Jeff Turner authors who write things that aren't really at all in line with what I write. In fact, there's also a Jeff Turner who is a rapper, and I have actually awesome. gotten... Like literally I've gotten, I'm, I'm about ready to go up and speak somewhere and I've gotten messages from a place where this guy was supposed to be performing that night being like, where are you, Jeff? You know, we booked you six months ago. Where are you? And I'm like, you've got that's, the wrong Jeff Turner. So that, I'm, that's amazing. Uh, there's yeah. this, uh, funny enough, there is a Matthew DiStefano who has published books. That isn't me, um, but it's like biology homework helpers. <laughs> so um, if, if you come across my books, that's not them. Yeah, yeah, that's what I always have to tell people too. I'm like, if you look up Jeff Turner on Amazon, there's a bald guy with a goatee. Just know that one's not me. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So Matthew J. DeStefano on Amazon. You have, is it six or seven books now? Well, I, it's it's five books and then a, a series of booklets that will, I guess, be um, will total the length of a book. So, yeah, it's like seven total projects right now that you can buy on Amazon. Five are books and uh, two are short reads. Yeah, and those are the ones based on your podcast called the the Bonfire Sessions, correct? Yeah, yeah, those are the most recent, and yeah, they're like forty pages each. Uh, in twenty twenty one, unless we all die of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. we're planning on putting them together into one book. But yes, it there is a podcast of the same name, and then some booklets on Kindle right now for ninety nine cents. Yeah. If you're and those re- are essentially are those... want to jump on that. Yeah, yeah, 99 cents, you definitely need to jump on that. And those are basically transcriptions of the conversations that come from the podcast, no. if I'm not mistaken, or no, no, no. I no, have- no, they're not. No, I'm not about to transcribe stuff. Like, that's too much work. Um, okay. I've, okay. I've transcribed stuff before, like, for I was going to say, that sounds job. like more work than writing a book, actually, transcribing no. a conversation. No, okay. they're, they're modeled after the same spirit of the podcast. So they gotcha. are in and of themselves like their own conversations, but they kind of mirror what we do on the podcast awesome yeah so that's awesome i'm definitely going to check it out i encourage anyone listening to check it out 99 cents right now on kindle um and of course your book uh that i did write the foreword for that was from the blood of abel which is absolutely brilliant and i encourage anybody listening to get a hold of it absolutely fantastic so anyways man hey again thank you so much for being on tonight um it's really an honor really a pleasure to have you here you know, we do go way back. I was trying to think of how it was that we initially connected. I know it was over Facebook, and I was trying to think to myself whether it was through a mutual friendship with Caleb Miller or Michael Harden or somebody. I don't know, but it was somehow, some way, we connected years ago, and I'm very grateful that we did. And um, you know, your posts are always brilliant and provocative, and I love the 
well, for lack of a better term, provocative way that you speak the truth that you speak. And uh, I, I just love everything you have to say. And I think you're, you're a brilliant individual. And um, I love your kind of iconoclastic way of going at things. And, um, you know, I've watched your journey over the last, I don't even know how long it's been. What is it? Five, six years, maybe we've been connected, maybe more. Yeah, something like that. It's well, it's one of those weird things that I don't know how I connect with people on Facebook, but yeah, I'm glad that I do. It's why I have a love hate relationship with social media. It's like sometimes you can get burnt out and it can frustrate you and you can run into trolls and people who uh, hate follow you and all that kind of stuff. But then you mm -hmm. meet a lot of really cool people who you become friends with face to face in real life and and have a good working relationship with and, and you wouldn't want to miss out on that. So your relationship yeah. is one of those one of those that stands out that I'm like, man, I, without Facebook, I wouldn't have some of these relationships. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things. Right on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how we connected, but same. I'm just glad we did. Um, and, uh, you know, so so I guess tonight um, what I really wanted to do is the theme of the podcast is really just I just want to hear people's stories and I want to hear their stories you know, uh, how they got into the uh, religious bind and fix they found themselves in, uh, what it was that kind of broke them out of it, and, and, and what life kind of looks like for them on the other side of it. And I know everybody's got a different story to tell. Everybody has a very different journey. And, and while I have read a lot of your stuff, and I do think if memory serves, it has been a few years, but you do tell uh, a bit of your story, quite a bit of your story. And from the blood of Abel and um, you may, you may in other books as well. Um, but, you know, just for our listeners tonight, I, I just really like to give you the liberty just to kind of tell your story and tell us kind of where you came from, um, what life looked like for you pre quote unquote deconstruction. And yes, I know for all the listeners, there is a more nuanced definition of deconstruction than what we're using tonight. But at the same time, you also know exactly what we're talking about colloquially. So like what life looked like for you, maybe pre deconstruction, what it was that led you into deconstruction and maybe what life looks like for you now. I don't want to necessarily say on the other side of it because that's presumptuous because I think deconstruction is a continuing process. But, um, you know, what life looks like for you now, maybe on the other side of having deconstructed that evangelical um, model, fundamentalist model of, of, of your faith. And um, hello, Facebook. And um, yeah, if you could just kind of talk us through that and you know what, throughout the way, you know, I'll interject, ask some questions and, and, and I just look forward to a good conversation here. So if you just kind of want to, you know, start us down the path of your own story and journey. Yeah, well, I, um, I've only, it's funny because I've only in, in print, in books, I've only told my story in bits and pieces and, um, uh, your, your, some of your listeners might be aware of, of Michelle Collins, uh, her and I are writing a book on my story and it's sort of an interviewee slash memoiry type um deal that um I, we don't have a date or anything we're currently working on that where, where i do lay out my story and of course we do have to talk about this term mm -hmm. deconstruction not in the jacques derrida sort of way but in yeah like sure. you said how we use it um <clears throat> kind of on social media and talking about this process that uh where we kind of tear down our faith and then maybe rebuild it up and the the aim we're taking in that book is is I don't like and neither does she uh, this idea that there's going to be like a checklist of, of what you deconstruct and and how mm -hmm. it's going to go 
because like you said, all of our stories are so unique. There does seem to be like common experiences that people resonate with. So when you say things about your story, people will be like, oh yeah, I kind of experienced that too. So what we've both noticed, Michelle and I, is that while the stories are unique, like some of the feelings that go along with it are are something that kind of there's like a common thread through all of it. Yeah. And and her her uh, one of her big things is that it kind of models the cycle of grief. Um, and and I, I feel like whenever you have like a crisis of faith or all these existential questions that you don't have answers to. Uh, it does, you do kind of go through the grief cycle and you bounce around mm-hmm. off the, on that. And so I'm definitely not immune from that. Like I, I definitely feel like I've had some of those experiences and have experienced probably checked off all the boxes of the grief cycle and maybe even have some sort of similar symptoms of like people with complex PTSD, um, yeah. though I've never been diagnosed. And And mm-hmm. I think anyone who's gone through this kind of stuff and um, has those things. So I guess the, the best way to jump into like my own story is that for whatever reason, I always asked these really tough questions, even as a young kid, like I, I was, um, asking questions like even at like seven, eight, nine, like why the devil couldn't ask for forgiveness? Why, um, why, why did people have to go to hell? It didn't seem fair. Even to my mind back then, it, it didn't seem fair. And I was petrified about that. And you see, I grew up um, fair, fairly conservative, evangelical, um, a lot of left behind type theology. And so I was super afraid of the rapture. And I was asking questions like, well, what's the point of life? If I've committed the unpardonable sin already, I can't go back and undo it. It's unpardonable. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, I mean, questions that most seven and eight, I have a nine-year-old. I know you've got kids that aren't asking these questions. Um, None of my friends seem to be asking those questions, but I was for whatever reason. And I've heard other people having questions like that later, you know. Um, But for me, it was just one of those things. And And then it just always, those sort of tough questions always stayed with me even in like my teenage and young adult years. And I didn't really start asking them to my pastors and older, you know, older friends and people on the worship teams that I played with until later, until I got a little more, I guess, uh, grown up a little bit to where I felt like I could ask those questions. And none of the answers I ever got were very satisfactory. Um, you know, it was always kind of just, well, that's the way it is, or those are the, the those are the difficult truths of the Bible, and that never satisfied for me. And so I I always had this sort of philosophical mind, and always thinking about these things. And you know, when you get into your twenties and uh, late twenties and thirties, uh, maybe sometimes some people are older or younger when when they start to just you know. At, you know, really get down to the nitty gritty on what they believe. You just eventually say, I can't, I can't deal with this any longer. It doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Um, I, I don't, I don't find myself wanting to worship this God who is okay with slavery is okay with genocide. You know, all the things mm-hmm. that, you know, people seem to talk about. I was, I was just so turned off by all of that. You know, the, the violence of God was a big one for me or the so-called violence of God, I should say now. 
um, <laughs> was was always a big one for me because it was like, well, it's not okay for me to do this kind of stuff. What makes it okay for God to behave this way? It, it's it's morally reprehensible. And, um, you know, I got into like watching debates with Hitchens and people like William Lane Craig and, 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 and the, the things, the things these theists were saying about God, we could never say about people and, and still be like, yeah, but I worship this God. And it's like, how? Yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to interrupt, but I so, I so relate to the watching Hitchens versus William Lane Craig. <laughs> right. And you'd want, you'd life. want the theist that to win because like, you, oh. yeah. <clears throat> I never, I you never would, heard a theist want... win. Yeah, no, no, never, I never heard never, of, never. No way, especially not with Hitchens. I I have never heard anybody win a debate with Hitchens. I'm not even sure if, oh Lord, forgive me, Jesus could have won a debate with Hitchens, but like <laughs> just because the guy was so friggin' brilliant and well spoken. But like, man, I oh, listening to it was it was tortured listening to theists trying to argue with well Hitchens, but any of the four horsemen of the new atheist apocalypse as they've been dubbed, you know, and it was just, I remember trying to save my own faith when I was in that particular uh, phase of deconstruction, if you will, and and trying to save it by listening to these debates. And it was, it, it, it was the worst thing I could have ever done for my Christianity that I was trying to save. It was also the best thing I could have done for my Christianity in the long run. But, uh, oh man, it was just, there was just no arguments to be had on the side of theism that were even worth considering. It was, it was wild. Anyways, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just so related to that. Oh no, it's, it's totally fine. I, I just, um, it was one of those, it's one of those weird spots that you're in because you're not comfortable with the God you believe in and you don't even mm -hmm. find yourself worshiping that God anymore because that was a big problem with me. It's like, you know, I asked all these people in Bible studies, you know, well, are, what are we sure that God was really commanding genocide and, and was, you know, wanting, you know, a, a temple built on the backs of slaves? Are we sure? And their answers were, oh, yeah, yeah, it says it in the Bible, but the slaves are treated well. OK, well, and then I got to a point where it's like, OK, even if that all that is true and that God does exist, I am only lying to myself, which that God would know if I, if I claim to worship him and I just couldn't any longer. So even though, even though I couldn't worship, I still wanted God to exist and I wanted Hitchens to lose one of these debates because yeah. I wasn't ready to like, be like, Oh shit, I guess right. I have to be, an, I guess I intellectually have to be an atheist now. Right. And through, I mean, you know, now that I can have like the 30,000 foot view and see the whole thing, I'm glad I'm glad that Hitchens won all those debates and that I did get onto that. Um, I was never a hardcore atheist or anything, but I was very agnostic. And, and maybe on some of my worst days, maybe uh, uh, I say that tongue in cheek. I was an atheist because I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with atheism. I think it's sure. I think it's now a metaphysical absurdity, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it was really healthy for me. And, and I think you've pointed this out is that you kind of have to become an atheist to the God you once believed in, mm -hmm. um, in order to experience God, yeah. capital G God. And I, and that's always kind of resonated with me because I'm to the point in my life now where every time we talk about God, it's really our theology 
mm-hmm. we can really only experience God. And if we're going to talk about God, it's going to be through analogy and pointing, not actual. When we say God, we're not talking about the actual God. It's it's through right. our grid and filter. And I needed atheism and agnosticism to see that. And to where I can then on quote unquote, the other side say, well, I I don't, I don't believe in that God. Anything William Lane Craig is saying about God, I can just say, well, no, that's absurd. But at the same time, I do think that there is God in some sort of way. I don't know exactly what that is like. Um, I like I like David Bentley Hart's idea of Satchitananda that God is pure being consciousness and experienced mm-hmm. as bliss. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where I'm at now. I know that's not a Christian idea. I know that's Hindu, but so be it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, the, the longer I study and think about this stuff, the more that I've come to the conclusion that the way that Christians come to the way that we approach other cultures when it comes to our presenting them with the gospel is that we think that in addition to the gospel, we also have perfect philosophy and perfect everything else when it's like, you know what, in truth, no, we're sometimes just coming and announcing the name of something that they've always known the reality of. And sometimes they've even known the reality of it deeper than we do. We just give it a name in Jesus and actually, we can sometimes sit back and learn more from them about the technicalities of it than they even are from us. And we can just understand it now in the context of this name we have for it, Jesus, Christ, whatever, you know. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you there. And I, um, when it comes to the atheism thing, the phenomenon of atheism and how that works within the context of Christianity, it's, you know, interesting that you say that. And I do know that that was a part of your journey. And you even wrote a blurb for my last book, which I want to say my most recent book, but it came out in 2016. So that's not really that recent anymore. But uh, the atheistic theist subtitle, why there is no God, you should follow him shameless plug, get it on Amazon now 299 and Kindle. Um, But the the uh, the premise of the book is exactly as you said that in order to really become a follower of Jesus and a Christian, one does have to undergo something of an experience of atheism. And that's just simply that we have these God concepts that are buried deep in our hearts and our souls that are inherited almost like epigenetically. We have these things just implanted in us. We have these images of God we're born with and that we're presented with then after we're born. And, 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 and the gospel, the gospel has to, blow those all apart. I think it's John Caputo who said that the the gospel is not, you know, a, a or I'm sorry, that God is not a projection, but God is a projectile who crashes into our projections and, and, and demolishes them and breaks them all apart. And so that experience of atheism, while it really feels like atheism and like you've ended up in this godless land, in truth, what's actually happening is probably the spirits just working within your own soul and, and smashing all the idols that lie therein in order to prepare you for an experience of, of, of the God who is. And, and it feels very much like a, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moment when mm. you're in the middle of it? But it actually, for me anyways, it ended up being the most sacred of experiences. And those moments now that I look back on where I, I was up late at night and, you know, staring into the void and feeling it staring right back into me and not knowing mm 
if God was or if God wasn't or if I had built my entire life on a lie or if I built my entire marriage on a lie or ministry on a lie and really sitting there alone with myself questioning, what did I do? If I just my whole life been under a delusion and it was so hard and it was, you know, tears and, 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 and pain and depression and, you know, nights I wouldn't necessarily want to go back and actually live experientially. But now looking back at it, those are some of my most sacred moments because I really see it now as, as God working within my own soul, clearing, you know, the altars of all the idols that sort of, uh, you know, like in between wine tastings, you have to cleanse your palate in order to prepare you for the next one. And it was like I was perpetually while trying to taste the new wine, tasting the old wine, and, and it had to just be all done away with. And uh, so anyways, yeah, I, I, I resonate with what you're saying there about even that atheistic experience. In fact, that's one of my that's really a passion of mine is that I, I think so often people think they're losing faith and I think in truth they're finding it and when you're in the middle of it you don't know that yet and so it can be very discouraging and um anyways I don't, no I love what you said about that so I've, I've interrupted so continue on <laughs> oh no I, I I just um I love what you're saying you're not losing faith but you feel as if you are but what you're really losing is your need for certainty yeah. And see, we in the Christian church, for too many of us, I say this broadly speaking, we conflate certainty with faith and they couldn't be more different. Yeah. And, and, and so I think there is a mystery to faith or trust. I know Michael Harden would use the word trust, likes the word trust mm -hmm. um, better than faith. And I'm, I, I, that's fine. Um but I, I think when when we start to lose that sense of certainty, which is just like a, an idol, mm -hmm. and, and 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 even Jesus can be made into an idol, uh, because you know it comes down to you know deconstructing our idea of of what Jesus is or who Jesus yeah. was, and, and when we lose that um, that theology that we've built up, it feels like a faith crisis. But I think it's really, at least in my experience, it's 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 actually looking back. The first time you start to have faith or trust is when you're able to like open your palms up and and allow your need for certainty to fall out of your hands. Yeah. And see, we we've, we've gripped our theologies and our doctrines and our confessions of faiths so um, so tightly that you know you could see the whites of your knuckles and but but. Th that's not faith. Yeah. That's just that's our need for certainty. And uh, I tell you what, it 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 hurts like hell. Mm -hmm. But but you know, purging purging something that needs to be purged can hurt like hell. Um, yep. If you've swallowed poison, you know, vomiting it up and taking some sort of uh, emetic whatever medicine is it, it's not comfortable, but it's needed yeah. in order to live. And that's kind of what this whole it's what this whole thing is like. Yeah, straddling the fence of agnosticism and atheism is not comfortable. You get splinters where you shouldn't, but mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know it, you need to get there because you know you're stuck inside. Mm -hmm. You're stuck inside a box, and you think that's the entire universe, but really, there's a whole universe out there. And God might be in your box, but He's also outside of your box, or she's outside of your yeah. box, and you need to realize yeah. that. 
And we can't contain yep. God in a box, even though God is in the box too. Yep, yep. I think the only way to really find God is to let go of God because we can't be so naive as to think that whatever it was we inherited is a perfect, un- untouched, unadulterated portrait of God because how stupid is that? A thought, you know? And it's like, even if it was handed to us in a pristine virgin form, by the time it goes through our ears and is processed by our minds, it's polluted. And so for us to think that whatever we hold in mind is perfect is just, well, it's idolatry. And so uh, you don't find God until you can let go of God. And and I've told this story 10 million times, and so I won't tell the actual story. But a few years ago, actually two years ago on my my, uh, 17th anniversary, you know, I had an incident where I, I choked at a restaurant and I had to have the Heimlich maneuver performed on me by somebody and who literally saved my life. And it was, you know, a jarring experience. But the most jarring thing about it was that when I went to breathe in, when I had something lodged in my throat, the automatic process of breath that I have never thought about once in my life and that I have only ever taken for granted didn't work. Yeah. And I've never even thought about it. I've never even stopped and thought about the process or the never because I don't have to. It happens. You know, you you breathing just it happens. And this was the first time it did not happen for me. And so after that experience, I'd be driving down the road and I would literally just kind of have a little mini panic attack where I was terrified that the next time I attempted to inhale, it wouldn't work, you know, and it's like you can. I think it was Nietzsche who said that, you know, when when the I can't remember the exact wording, but that when the thing that you think is most certain fails you, you know, it gives rise to the suspicion that all lesser things will also fail you. And so, like, if your breathing fails you and you're afraid that the next breath won't come to you, well, the temptation, maybe not literally, but metaphorically would be to hold on to the last breath that worked so that you can be sure, well, even if the next one doesn't come to me, at least I still have what I had last mm. time. But at that point, you're just holding poison in your lungs and your body is actually designed to knock your butt out so that you'll be forced to take another breath to keep right. you alive. And it's like the only way to find the next breath is to let go of it. And the moment you let go of it, though it might be terrifying because you fear it's not going to come back to you, the moment you let it go, it automatically comes back to you. And that's what I found in letting go of God. And when I say automatic, I'm exaggerating because it took a couple of years, really. But relative to the length of my life, it was an automatic return of the thing I let go of. And what came back to me was spectacularly different and more beautiful than what it was that I let go of. So, yeah, no, I'm with you 100 percent. I get what you're saying and I love it. Yeah, I I, I think uh, a lot of the truths of the universe are paradoxical sounding when we first hear them, mm-hmm. you know, so like you just said, um, holding on to the one thing that we really need is actually what poisons us. It's, it's kind of yeah. like love, you know, the only you experience love by giving it away to others yeah. and, and, you know, others giving it away to you. And the more we hold on to it, the more we're missing the point. So mm. I, I think that's absolutely, I, I never heard that story that, um, I've never had that happen. I've never seen it happen where someone 
had to have the Heimlich, but that sounds scary as shit, man. I'm sorry that happened. it was scary. It, no, it was. I'm I'm probably I'm a I'm a solid 170, 175, and the lady behind me who gave me the Heimlich maneuver could not have been more than 95 pounds and like a a solid five five. And <laughs> but she yeah, <laughs> she saved my life. It had to have been kind of comical for everyone else watching, but. Yeah, it was it shook me up a little bit, but yeah, it made me thankful for the uh the gift of breathing. And also yeah. taught me to also taught me to chew better. So. Yeah, well, my wife is a GI nurse and when she's on call, huh. she gets called in for people who have swallowed two large items of food and then they have to retrieve it. Um so yes, to all your listeners, please chew your food carefully. Yeah. Please do for the love of God. Yeah. For the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyways, you know, as you were saying, just that you 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 gone you went through a phase of I I, I don't want to call it a phase because that sounds dismissive, like what parents say when their kids oh it's just start a phase. dressing like yeah it's just a phase it's your your Marilyn Manson goth phase you know <laughs> um, <laughs> but you went through a period where it felt as though you had lost God it felt as though you were you know losing faith you were in this kind of atheistic uh, experience and uh, yeah yeah what you know what kind of happened from that or um, well, you know, as these things kind of go, um, you, you feel a little bit of betrayal. You feel like you've kind of been lied to. And it takes a while to realize that, you know, the people who had taught you your whole life are probably just doing the best they can, too. So you, it takes yeah. a while to not, like, hold a grudge against them. So I had a, I, I didn't I wouldn't say I was, like, completely, like, an, one of those stereotypical angry athe- atheists. Yeah. Um, but... But, you know, I could be a little bit snarky and uh, as people might know. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I would ask I would ask hard questions and I'd ask them in hard ways and people didn't like that. Um, so there was that kind of period that was in, involved in that. And I was still kind of um, involved in, in church, but not really because, you know, I was I was never one of those like there is no God 100 percent. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, even when I came to the other side of being like, well, I think, I think there is a God and I think God's mercy and love and grace is higher, wider, broader, and deeper. And we're all just kind of, we've all missed the point here. Mm -hmm. Um, I still tried to like attend church and everything like that and do Bible studies. My problem with it was I got to reading so much. I got to reading a lot of philosophy and I got to reading a lot of like even early church fathers and things like that. And a lot of mystics throughout the ages of Christianity and non-Christian and started realizing, wow, even the atheist side, (laughs) they're all arguing straw men here because I mean, they're just, they're arguing like a fundamentalist theology. They're not necessarily arguing about God. And, and, and so I still wanted to engage the people that I grew up with and the church I grew up with. But then I realized, man, it's just so basic and boring. If you don't mind me asking what, what was, what what was it that you were brought up in? You don't necessarily have to name it. Exactly, oh, I can but, I can name. Yeah. yeah, I can name it. It was uh, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, okay, okay. It was a denomination that was non-denominational, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I could. It it sounds to like pretty much every other white evangelical uh, church. You know, it's it's penal substitution. It's yeah. uh, hell is hell is eternal torment. Inerrant Bible. Yeah. Um, I grew up assemblies of God and I was always told CMA is essentially 
assemblies of God without speaking in tongues. So, yeah, we yeah we didn't yeah. have any charismatic stuff or any okay. any of that. Okay. Yeah, well, that was the yeah, fun there stuff. Was... You missed out on that. I missed out on that. It was just the rigid fundamentalism. Um, <laughs> yeah, <so> too bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but 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 you know when even when I uh, the problem is that I started pursuing this as a passion and started mm-hmm. writing, and um, once I kind of started rediscovering God um, by trying to see the world without my need for theological certainty and just experiencing the world and experiencing love with others and just experiencing the peace of breathing in and breathing out um, yeah. without, without food in your, in your throat. Um, realizing, wow, um, maybe there is something to this universe. Maybe there is something to beauty. Maybe there is something to peace. Maybe there is something to love. And then also reading, reading people that, Talked about God in a different way. Richard Rohr, um, Tom Talbot, uh, Mm. people like that. And I was like, well, I want to talk about this. I want to write some things. I I, I think I have a way of putting things. I want to write a book. And that was um, beautiful and and tough. And then also very heartbreaking because then when family and friends start reading your stuff, (laughs) Um, and they don't like it, it gets very difficult and it gets very personal. And see, I I think this is the problem is that we attach ourselves to our beliefs. And when people start to question those beliefs, it's as if they're attacking us. And that's how Mm -hmm. it probably seemed to people. And, and, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you are, but that's how they feel. Mm-hmm. And, and that became that became really difficult is because on the one hand, I felt a passion for 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 writing, for sharing big ideas. And then also, well, how do I do it in the way that I want to do it? While not pissing off the mob. <laughs> yeah. um, and it takes yeah. a few, it takes a few years to, to get to figure that out. And in those few years, you end up burning some bridges on accident. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can relate to that 100%. I I mean, I was a pastor up until 2014. My wife and I left Pensacola, Florida, straight out of Bible college. And we joined a pastoral staff and we were on it until the late spring, early summer of 2014. And that was when I stepped down. Since then, I've been on my own. But the the entire process of my own that I described earlier, you know, the atheism thing, all of that, the theological unraveling, all of that happened whilst pastoring, you know, yeah. and it was, oh my God, was it terrifying. It was, it was absolutely terrifying because not only was it just terrifying because my beliefs were failing me, it was also terrifying me because potentially... Uh, my career might be gone if I voice some of this stuff. And man, I certainly understand that project or that, that process, I guess a project as well of, of learning how to very slowly start sharing some of this stuff and, and very slowly start teaching some of this stuff without just bringing the whole house down upon yourself. Um, and, And so for me, I started mostly on social media at first, um, 
as opposed to speaking it like from the pulpit, you know, and uh, then gradually I worked my way to that until it just kind of didn't work anymore. But like, is that kind of where you start? Did you start kind of on social media or did you start working, uh, writing like with your books and blogging or, you know, where did you really kind of start releasing some of the stuff that you're talking about now? Well, I, I started it. See, I, I was never a pastor. I was involved in worship teams and things like that. So some of my yeah. earliest really um, faith crises was when I was still leading worship. But when I really mm. got vocal, it was it was initially on social media and then some blogs for like the Raven Foundation and even Sojourners. Um, and then I remember um, my first book, it was still a manuscript. I submitted it to Whippenstock back in... 2014 maybe and that's is that all set free all set free yeah i remember the day the day that they sent me an acceptance a contract was one of the days where my wife's family like laid like was like laying into her over the phone like saying i mean because Mm -hmm. of what i was saying about god and um it was it was a very um you had both emotions on the spectrum in one in like one moment literally was on the phone with them when i got the contract that i was like i didn't think they were gonna because i was a new writer i didn't think anyone was gonna pick it up i was gonna self-publish but i was like hey shot in the dark and they came back and said yes and then it was so it was like i was just starting to to write my ideas and you know i never wanted to be on social media but then you realize if you want to sell some books you got to be um right so (laughs) so i was starting in that way and then as i was doing that it was it was like getting hit by this tsunami of of you know from the family of being like hey matt is basically because you know my wife's my wife's um late grandfather was a pastor his whole life so you you know it's almost Mm -hmm. like the the minute you start talking about god the way i talk about god now it's almost like you're undoing their entire career and and so i get that to some extent and so you, you get into this like very precarious situation. And, um, I, you know, you mentioned doing it slowly. I, I learned to do it slowly, like three years too late. <laughs> no, I'm with I, you there. That was part I of just, learning how to do yeah. it slowly is not doing yeah. it slowly at first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I just jumped in both feet and was like, Hey, I'm going to ask these really tough questions and I'm going to start writing about universalism and like everyone's gonna be excited because it's really good news and then it's like whoop hold the horses people Mm. don't like that um so yeah yeah, it was it was i was never having to teach from the pulpit and stuff so i took you know to my i I went you know the route of social media and writing and then it led to like podcasts and things like that but initially it was articles and blogs and whenever when people were blogging blogs used to be a thing um, for for our younger listeners um Um, there was once a time where people read books and read blogs and yeah (laughs) yeah no i i think one of my mistakes i made early on where as i said part of the learning process was learning uh learning how to say things or release things slowly was learning from the mistake of saying it all at once up front because i initially made the mistake of thinking that um only my facebook audience saw what I was writing and not church staff and attendees. Mm-hmm. And I soon found out that that wasn't the case and others saw it as well. And uh, yeah, so, you yeah, know, I, uh, I learned, I, yeah, yeah, I learned that family will, um, will, will check out your Facebook and uh, they will email each other what you're saying, even if you're not Facebook friends with them. Yep. 
I learned I learned that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. Yeah. I received packets and worth of uh, uh, documents detailing the heresies I was involved in from the Assemblies of God, Michigan uh, district headquarters, all kinds of different things. And hey, you know, uh, or I Southern, I would say, bless their hearts. Um, they meant well, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, it, there's always people spying. There's always people listening in that you don't think are listening in. And man, that can really cause some friction. In fact, I mean, there was even some other members of the pastoral staff that there was some friction with. And I may, you know, I come off online to people, I think, as like someone who's trying to be controversial, or at least I think maybe a few years older, younger version of Jeff maybe came off that way. But I'm really not like that. I mean, I have plenty of sarcastic bones in my body. But actually, in real life, if you're talking to me, I only really want to get along with you. And, uh, you know, if we disagree, we disagree. But um, I, uh, I, I think I learned from my, the way I was writing that the things I just wrote sounded very contentious. And uh, mm. so I had plenty of episodes of, of headbutting and all kinds of stuff, even with other members of the pastoral staff. And, you know, it, it was, that was an interesting time of life. And I kind of really, I'm really grateful that I'm not really there anymore. And I'm, it's not that I'm not there anymore because there aren't people there offering their criticism. It's just kind of that I don't really care too much anymore. And that might sound bad on my part. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not receiving criticism. I don't mean I'm not receiving criticism. I don't mean I'm not listening to it. But I just mean I'm kind of, and I think you probably understand what I mean, that there's certain things at this point in my life I feel like I've said my piece on. And it's like, if you want to know my thoughts on penal substitutionary atonement, or if you want to know my thoughts on eternal conscious torment, or if you want to know my thoughts on original sin or something else, you know, I wrote two books that deal with those things. I poured years into writing them. You know, you can read those. If you can't afford it, I'll happily send you a PDF, you know, and I just kind of, there's certain things I'm just no longer really, I don't know, interested in arguing about anymore. And it kind of feels good to be you know, over that a little bit, but I don't know if you're, if, if you know what I'm saying, I'm sure you do. Oh yeah, I absolutely do. And, and look like when you first start writing and, and creating anything and you're gonna make a lot of mistakes and, and I still yeah. make mistakes today. And I look back on, you know, you get those Facebook memories of here's what you said oh, five God, years yeah. ago. I'm like, oh shit. Um, <laughs> like it's not, and it's not, it's not even that you disagree with it. You're just like, I would never put it like that anymore. Yeah, you, you ever you, find yourself you deleting your old posts? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. But I, I don't yeah. share. So like a lot of the Facebook memories I don't share because I'm like, and, and, and you could even talk about this. This is, this is a weird thing about being a writer. I, I would look at all set free and say, I don't necessarily mm -hmm. disagree with 80% of it. It's just I would never say it this way. And, and I would say it's not even, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah like, like, you, like you said, I don't need to argue all these ideas anymore. I like to have discussions about them in mm -hmm. certain contexts, but I don't need to sit yes. here. Like, for example, I, I don't need to sit here and defend why I'm openly affirming of the LGBTQ community. Like, I have right. no interest in debating someone who's not. Like, you yeah. seriously, my best advice would be like, you need to be friends with gay people and then realize right. that you're, you, you know, that's how you're going to change it. Like none of my arguments mean anything like, and I don't need to pick that battle. Right. Right. hundred so percent. It, it, but that's, a, that this is all part of, this is all part of the process. This is all part of growth. Mm -hmm. This is all part of 
learning your, you know, how to find your voice. And it takes a while. It does. It really does. And, you know, one of the things I even kind of felt like I wanted to talk with you about, and, um, you know, I didn't really even know how much, you know, this was even a part of your story, but it was just kind of something I felt. And so I just kind of wanted to throw it out there and see is that, you know, this journey does, unfortunately, sometimes necessitate having to leave things and or people behind organizations behind institutions behind and it's, it's not really out of spite that you have to leave them behind. It's just that sometimes, well, you just have to leave them behind. And it's, again, not even something that you're doing willingly or intentionally. It's just you're moving. And if things aren't moving, well, by necessity, they kind of have to stay because you're moving on, you know. And, um, you know, I, I found that even with a lot of, and I guess that's kind of even what I was getting at with saying, like, I don't feel the need to defend certain things anymore. It's like, I, I'm just not camped out there anymore. And I see that, you know, just the way you write and stuff as well, that you're in that same place where it's like, if you stay around to fight, like like there's a big movement right now. A lot of people, you know, consider themselves ex-evangelicals and a lot of people, and I, and I get that 125,000% because... I, I understand what it is to come out of that movement and to feel, as we said before, a little bit of the, mm, uh, you know, you kind of want to, I don't want to say you want to get revenge, but maybe in a way you kind of want to, you want to say your piece, you know what I mean? You kind of want to yeah. like make your voice heard and, and what have you. But it seems to me that when we stay in that space and we're constantly, I don't know, going back and forth and, 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 and rebuffing the same things we've been rebuffing for years, we're not really moving we really just kind of become the mirror image of the thing we're railing against. And, you know, one of my, uh, one of the most transformative things I ever read was um, the Nietzschean parable of the camel, lion, and child that comes from Thus Spake Zarathustra. And for the sake of everyone who's heard me say it 20 billion times, I'll say it in like 45 seconds. But he says that, and I'm timing myself, but he says that we're all born essentially as camels. And that means we bear the burdens of others, but we think we chose them ourselves. And then we eventually retreat into the desert. And there we encounter this dragon called thou shalt. And on every one of its scales is written another thou shalt or thou shalt not. And it's at that point that we transform from the camel into the lion. And when we become the lion, we roar a holy or a sacred no in the face of that dragon. And we throw off its tyranny. And he says that eventually, though, we ought to become a child again. And that's the, the most mature state you can find yourself in is that place of a child, which I think uh, squares quite well with the idea of being born again, you know, is that we find ourselves back in that place of a child. And he says the child is the only place where you can really actually begin to create because at this point, you're no longer like living in opposition to something else. You're like living like a creative existence. You're on your own terms again. And I, I love even thinking of that in terms of the fruit of the spirit of self-control. You know, that one of the fruits of the spirit is you as an individual being in control of yourself, you know, and no longer controlled by religion. And it's easy to feel controlled by your by religion when you're in its grip. Mm -hmm. But when we break free from it, we sometimes don't realize that we're still in control of it when we're living in opposition to it. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's part of the process of getting free, 
but living in opposition to it obsessively is still being controlled by it. So the lion, while it's breaking free and the no that it's saying is a sacred no, it's still mirroring what it came from. And Nietzsche says that we have to get to that point of being a child. And that's where we learn to say a sacred yes. But in order to get there, we have to, there has to be a breaking free and there has to be a willingness to move past certain things and let certain things go. And I've seen, I've seen people do this in many different ways. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is relevant to your experience or not. Like I said, this is just something I really kind of felt. And I thought maybe we could just go with it and, and, and see what comes up. But I've seen people really deal with the, their, their loss of a certain type of faith, either by, be, by living eternally opposed to the faith they came from, or by living internally opposed to it, all while remaining ensconced within it. And by that, I just simply mean they still stay in the church that they disagree with, but they stick around, you know, just because they don't know where else to go or they're afraid they won't find fellowship like this somewhere else. So it's either they they remain eternally opposed or internally opposed, but still a part of it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking more and more that the quote unquote deconstruction community, if there can be such a thing, that one of the things we got to start teaching people how to do is how to actually start to create a life outside of that system, including a life outside of living opposed to that system. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, all those are, I love the parable um, and I think it's appropriate. I, I have noticed so, some things that, that you're talking about is that it's almost as if we're setting up our identity with a new religion and the yeah. new religion is the anti old religion. Yeah. And, and I, and, and um, I, I would caution against that. I, I understand it on the one hand, but I would caution against that because I think it sets us up to not really live life and to just be, to almost become like hypocritical. Yeah. And, and I, and I've noticed this, a lot and I, I don't want to like disenfranchise listeners and, and no, no, i use these I, I use these terms broadly speaking but i've almost noticed like there's this propensity for people who are more because i mean the, the flow kind of goes like this you came from the conservative right and then you go mm -hmm. to the 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 sort of secular left even if mm -hmm. you're a christian and and yeah. it's almost like you've set yourself up to just be opposed to that on the right and that, but you've almost become, it's, it's become almost a fundamentalism into of itself. Which is odd, it's, but it's 100% right. No, I've, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a sacrificial and it's, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's, it's just got different puritanical codes. It's got yep. different ritualistic codes and, and, and I'm not going to say they're completely equal, but I think we have this sure. propensity to to kind of set up our identity as either what we are, which mm -hmm. is like, I, I'm, 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 I'm a Christian and, yeah. or, or, and then we, and then we deconstruct that quote unquote, and we get onto the other side and we say, well, I'm, I'm not one of those. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, okay. So now you're just not something, but what, mm -hmm. what, what is your true identity then? And so we have to transcend those labels. People ask me all the time, like, do you even consider yourself a Christian, Matt? And, and I used to say, yeah, but I'm not that Christian. Right. 
And and now it's more like I honestly, if I think about my day to day, my week to week, I don't think of things like that. I don't yeah. ever think of it. I don't ever ask myself the question. I don't feel the need to. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like I'd rather I'm more at peace when I just am, when I'm just yeah. here, when I'm just present. And maybe that makes me a Buddhist, but I don't care about that label either. Like I yeah. feel as if you get to a point where you you have more peace by not needing to define yourself um, with what you are or even what you're what you're especially what you're against. Totally. And and I w- I would caution against people who who just um, it's so easy to just ridicule where we came from. Yeah. And and I think there's a there's a there's like a healthy venting that we sure. need to do that. We we need to shake our fist at things a little bit. But but we don't want to stay there. Yeah. It's it's like uh, it's kind of like the fight or flight response. That's very good. We need the fight or flight response. Yeah. But we can't live there because yeah, no, our agree. bodies cannot handle that. We, Sorry. Yep. No, we just we, we won't live a long fruitful life. We'll have high blood pressure, cortisol will be running through us, and we won't live a long yeah. life even though we do need that response for a little short bit. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I, I, I kind of liken it, and this is going to sound bad or dismissive, and I don't mean it in that way at all, but it's almost like it's almost like an adolescence or like teenager phase where rebellion is necessary, you know, and yeah. kicking against your parents' ideals and goals. And by that, I don't mean people who are there are childish. That's not why I'm using that illustration. No. But just in the course of human development, there is that, necessary rebellious stage because if you and even if you rebel you may very well come back to your parents ideals and end up embracing them yourself but you'll never be able to return to them and honestly embrace them unless you initially reject them so you have to find out why they're valuable if they are worth returning to and so i think it's a good thing and i and i would never deny anyone the right to experience that it's um it's just for me that it does seem like we tr- we are trying to i don't want to say we're we it's just it's a phenomenon that's happening many people find themselves there and the tendency is to kind of maybe set up shop or set up camp there or set up some tabernacles there and try to stay there and camp out but you can't really you can't find a you can't find a sacred solidity in what you're not because what you're not is nothing and what it is that we really need in a deconstructed world is a sacred solidity. And I think, you know, I love what you said that it, it it's really become in not labeling and in not defining yourself. And I think that's really what Nietzsche meant elsewhere. He talks about the child illustration and he says that <clears throat> man's maturity is to recapture the seriousness of a child at play. Like, so the highest, most loftiest thing we can aspire to is to recapture the seriousness of a child playing because a child is dead serious about playing. It doesn't think of it as play. It's 100% engaged in, you know, when I was playing with Ninja Turtles at seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe even older than I should have been, I was totally dead serious about playing Ninja Turtles. Like, I didn't think for a second, this is a game. I was 100% engaged with it. And it's like, that's the seriousness of a child at play. I'm not doing anything that I'm, like, actually trying to pin down and define, but I'm 100% swallowed up by it. And I think that's, you've got like, there's that super hyper intentional Christianity, that hyper evangelical discipleship, change the world, rah, 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 win souls, you know, whatever kind of thing. 
And then you burn out on that. And then you get into the phase of like, you know, screw all this. This is all stupid. I'm going to like actively push against this. And then eventually you come to a point where you just kind of, you just kind of sink into your own identity as who you are. And you're no longer identifying yourself as anything and everything just, I don't even know how to explain that experience, but I think that's what it is to actually be a quote unquote Christian is just to live and move and have your being in God, you know, and you have a name for it. Um, but you don't have to run around screaming that name. You just know it and you can live in it consciously. And, you know, that's kind of my own experience at present. And it's, 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 it's beautiful. I guess the flip side of all of that is, and, um, this is probably a minority when it comes to those who have experienced, you know, quote unquote, deconstruction is that some live in eternal opposition, some live in internal opposition, and they stay in the structure, but they stay in the structure maybe too long. I think there is a time and a place for staying within the structure for like realizing, oh, I'm in the matrix and I can realize I can use the matrix's, you know, rules. I don't want to say against it, but yeah, maybe you can you can reform the the, the system from within. But then I do think there also comes a point where you have to move on and you have to trust that there's something better outside of this system. And, and so many people, they stay in it. And this is not being critical of anyone, but they stay in it while living in internal opposition to it belief wise, just to maintain certain relationships and, and, and norms. And I think that's equally like toxic and destructive to the soul. And, um, you know, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately of, 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 you know, how to, how to help people who are in that, in that stage, you know, kind of, of move on. And I don't know if you, you have anything to say on that or anything, any thoughts or observations? Yeah, I, that's a, that's a tough one. Cause there are a lot of people I respect who, who do kind of stay in the system and try to reform it from within. And I used to be kind of like that. And then I realized it was not healthy for me. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's, it's, it's hard because we're all so different and we all have such different personalities and what, um, you know, what we're attracted to, what we're kind of repulsed by. And for me, it's just like, I don't know, unless you could, unless you could be, unless the system allows you to truly express yourself in the way you want to express yourself, I think yeah. it's 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 it, it's not allowing you to flourish, and and I sure. think only yeah. you only you can answer that for yourself. So, you know, yeah. if you're able to fully flourish while changing something from within, um, great. I just I doubt you really can. I don't know. I I, yeah. I, I have my doubts. I don't want to like, I don't want to import my experiences onto someone else's life. I, I'm sure you can, but. I have a hard time um, like experiencing that. Yeah, no, and I agree with you. And, you know, my wife and I, my family and I, you know, we when we stepped down from the church we were pastoring at, you know, I didn't return to that same church as like an attendee only because it just seemed a little bit awkward to me. And I could kind of fill most weekends by being out speaking and traveling somewhere. So I really didn't have to even think about it. You know what I mean? Because I was always somewhere else. And, you know, like when the, within the last year or so, we've discovered a church locally in our area that, you know, I've become good friends with the pastor and the staff, and we really connected and really clicked and are really on the same page with a lot of stuff. And it was really kind of miraculous to even find it, especially in the town that I've been living in pretty much my whole life, you know. Um, so I, I was really thrilled to find it. It's just that, you know, I know that those 
congregations and communities are so rare and some people so crave community that they'll stay even within a quote unquote, and I hate, I hate the adjective, but a toxic community. And I only hate it because it's overused and it kind of loses its punch, but a community that might still very well be toxic and um, just because they want the community or because maybe they have a certain gifting, you know, in a certain thing. And there's just no other outlet for a gifting like that because it's just there's no there's no other place that's demanding a bass player or something, you know, or whatever yeah. it is, you know. And so they might stay there for that reason. But the, the reason I've kind of seen this as being, you know, problematic, again, another word that's overused, but is that. A lot of these people who, uh, my friends who are in this kind of deconstructive mode and they're, they're kind of, they're becoming healthier people. They're becoming, you know, more whole if there is such a thing internally. And they're kind of becoming better versions of themselves, right? And so then they end up staying in an environment that is very eager to use your gifting and use the better version of yourself that you're offering them while not accepting the thing that inspired you to make the changes in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's like a job, like a job where you're like, okay, I'm going to be the best employee that I can be, but that only gives your boss, you know, more incentive to keep you where you are instead of promoting you because well, they want this better version of you working for this low wage. Right. So it's like, they they accept the positive change and they will most certainly use it because they need it, but they won't accept the thing that brought you there and they wouldn't actually accept you if they knew how you thought, how you believed, how you now practiced your Christianity. And to right. me, it's like, well, I, I can respect a person who can who can remain in such a situation. And maybe we could even argue, you know, that it's a being in the world, but not of its situation. But there also is a point at which you're not really thriving and becoming you're you're really not becoming you know who you could be because you're always being tamped down by something and that lack of even acceptance or affirmation of who you are and and where you're going is always going to keep you down a little bit and so you know i don't know like i said i don't even know if this really even ties in with your own journey at all but it is something i just kind of felt on my heart to talk about is that um you know i really I guess it, 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 it becomes incumbent then upon us who have kind of maybe taken this journey to find alternative ways of doing community, I guess, you know, and uh, yeah. so many of us, you know, have been so burned ourselves by it. Some are skittish about doing anything or presenting anything that sounds like it because others are skittish about it. But it really is something that in the next decade, two decades, uh, it has to become a reality, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would, um, you know, I like the term uh, orthopraxy over orthodoxy. I think anytime that yeah. it's it's all, where it's all about how we live out our faith is what we can unify over and not, and not necessarily our doctrines and our beliefs. I think our doctrines and our beliefs get in the way and we can have yeah. them and we can have discussions about them. It's like what we do on the Heretic Happy Hour. I think that show has flourished um, not because we're necessarily like the, um, we have some sort of special skill set. I mean, I think I, everyone, everyone's got a podcast these days. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but I think where we've flourished is that we've really modeled that it's not really about what we believe. Like, I, I think some things have been said on the show from hosts other than myself, 
of course I agree with myself all the time because I'm always right. But yeah, of um, no, of course. And me. And, uh, <laughs> and you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's been things that said that I'm like, I totally disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And and if the conversation moves in such a way that it's not necessarily for me to say that I disagree with that, it just goes on. It just goes on and life yep. goes on. And at the end of the day, we will flourish when we just live with one another, talk with one another, um, be there for one another. The minute the minute doctrines have to be X, Y, and Z, I think then we we I worry that those will always prevent us from from flourishing. Yeah. Whereas let's have our orthodoxy be how how we love one another. Yeah. And and we and we can we can we can sort out the the <laughs> our beliefs later over a yeah. beer or something. But um, I mean, you know, I, I I just worry about all that kind of stuff because it just seems like if we have to have like a statement of faith or this is what it means to be a Christian, um, I just I just worry that that those are just ways to divide. Hundred percent, man, and I think. I think you guys do, you are a beautiful example on the Heretic Happy Hour of people who do see things differently, um, but who all can come together at the table and have a conversation. I mean, not only that's just civil, because civil can still be, <laughs> there still can yeah. be a lot of things seething beneath civility, but right. but you're friends and you can tell you love each other. And I think you guys have a very beautiful dynamic. And I think that is what the church is supposed to be, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what... What Paul says in Galatians, you know, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Yeah, those aren't we we would have to reward some of those in order to be to to, to make it work in today's society. But still, you understand what I mean, that there's there were identity yeah. markers that were like, oh, well, we're on different we're on different planes here. We're in different classes or whatever. And Paul's like, no, when you come together around the table in Christ, all of those things are suspended and you are only in Christ. And it's like. When we come together today, it's like, shouldn't there be neither theist nor atheist, progressive yes. nor fundamentalist, you know, uh, yeah. whatever. That should be the way we come together around the table. And I'm, I, I'll never, the reason that I had to retreat into listening to Christopher Hitchens, not only because he's an incredible orator, has a razor sharp wit, and is just one of the, one of, was one of the most brilliant minds of the last century. And I'm, I, I'm glad he's with Jesus right now. Um but, uh, you know, it was be- the reason I had to find company among like atheists on YouTube is because I couldn't have these conversations at church. You know, I couldn't have these conversations yeah. with any other pastors. There, w- there wasn't a table I could come to where all those identity markers were suspended and it was just, no, we're in Christ. And whatever questions you have in this moment or whatever doubts you have in this moment, they're all being had in Christ. I'm not going to throw you into a group when you raise that objection or when you you bring that idea up, I'm going to see all of this as happening and as existing in Christ. And so this is a conversation that can be had. It's a it's a yeah. it's a discussion that can be had. You know, I, I didn't have any of that. I, I didn't I didn't know anywhere I could go that was like that. Today, it might be different. You know, today there's there's Facebook groups, there's different things you can take advantage yeah. of. But at the time, man, there was there was nothing. There was nothing more yeah. than having my credentials revoked and, and and possibly losing my job, you know, and it was terrifying. But it was specifically because there wasn't a table where all those identity markers and labels could be, you know, jettisoned and we could all just exist in Christ yeah. in whatever state wow. we were in at that moment, you know? 
I think one thing that would change uh, Christianity to, in the biggest way is to realize that nothing is outside of Christ. Yeah. I, I've heard you point up the point out the metaphysical absurdity of of, of being you know separated from God. Uh, I you had this yeah. uh, amazingly brilliant uh, way of talking about hell as as either being held together by some other god or mm -hmm. hell itself becomes something that it's its own god that holds itself together um yeah. which i thought was great i think you said it on facebook um mm. some years back and it always struck me and i just it, it would change it would change so much and make christianity so beautiful if we realized that no one is not in christ yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we it would it would uh, limit that would be one of those one of those Pauline sort of dividing lines that Paul would be against. Like we, he yep. he would, you know, there is no out and in of Christ. There is literally there should be no dividing lines that that separate us. Yep, exactly. I mean, yeah. Jesus prays, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" <laughs> you know, so God's own moment of atheism is prayer, <laughs> you know, right. I, I mean, if God, well, let's just say this, if God himself declares, and I know that Jesus wasn't actually forsaken of the father, right. we've all, we've all worked through that issue, you know, 10 million times, but that God absorbs into God's self in that moment, this experience of felt abandonment by God, that means that at that point, there is nothing that doesn't exist in God or in Christ. If Christ takes into himself even our atheism and our felt divine abandonment, then there's nothing. Then there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to sit across a table from one another and even receive the Eucharist and yet say, I don't know if I believe, <laughs> you know, right. that, that shouldn't be an issue that should all be able to exist within Christ. And it's I think we're getting there, and I'm not in any way pessimistic about it. I think we've made great strides in the last like decade, you know, from where I didn't have anyone to go to. Now I think there's plenty of places to go to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I still, anyways, I guess to to the original point is that I think it it is becoming more and more incumbent upon those of us who have, have taken this journey. And I don't say that like I know the way, but to 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 try to form some kind of alternative communities and i think a lot are via podcasts facebook groups different kind of social media groups and what have you and so uh, that may be the future of this whole thing i don't really know i don't really know what it all is going to look like and how it's all going to play out but um i don't know i'm excited to see what it's going to look like regardless yeah hey in today's world i don't know what tomorrow's going to look like man <laughs> yeah exactly i don't either i don't either so, well, hey, man, you know, we've been on for a while now, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but, uh, you know, is there any final thoughts you kind of want to offer? Any kind of um, way you want to wrap up the conversation we had? Anything you kind of want to emphasize or, or bring forth? No, I mean, uh, a, a point of emphasis that um, Michelle and I make in the book uh, where we talk about, um, you know, this this whole process of deconstruction is that, you know, if, if you are questioning, if you are skeptical about what you believe, A, you're not alone. B, yeah. there's no there's no timetable. Um, there's not necessarily a timeline. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think for those of us who have gone through some deep existential crises and who are still here, we're still okay. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the best we can do, I think, is sit and listen and say, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. And and it's going to be OK. And, and the you know, so um, for some reason, this stuck with Michelle. I said it to her like five years ago. The only way out is through. So mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to you, you can't get a, you can't get out of it. You you've already had these questions. You've already peeked behind the veil. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there's no, there's no unseen what you've seen. You got to press on and press through and you're going to be OK. And so, um, yeah, it's it. I, I, I don't I try not to be a pessimist either. Um, it is a it's a large ship and it turns slowly. Yeah. But, but um, you know, I think we've seen progress and. I, uh, while I don't attend a church congregation, um, I think there is beauty in the idea of coming together at a table and, and, you know, if you want to call that church and what have you, I just, I, I would, I would like to include all people at that, at that table. Yep. Um, that would be my idea, my idea of the church. And if you if you don't want to be there, you get to choose that. But we're not going to be the ones who who choose that for you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. No, beautifully said, man. And I and I think the the message of the church of the the message of the church to the deconstructed has to just simply be pff, right on. <laughs> You're where you should be. You know, it's it's yeah. it's. Every mine mine was met with disdain. It was met with um, a lack of understanding, and as a result, it caused frustration and um, yep. an annoyance, and even maybe a bit of rage that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And um, yeah. yeah, so if if the church has anything to offer, well, number one, the church needs to itself submit to the deconstructive process instead of resisting it. But but I think any anyone who is anything approximating a quote unquote leader in this movement. I think really the message is just simply that you're where you should be and to affirm them and to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're exactly where you should be. You're exactly where God wants you to be. And, uh, you're, you're welcome at the table, atheist, theist, Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever it is you identify as at this moment in time, you know, you're in. And, uh, you know, if I would have had that, if so many people I know would have had that, I mean, things would have went very differently for them, I'm sure. And I'm grateful for how things went for me because I wouldn't be who or where I am now had they not gone the way that they went. But regardless, I think you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, man. Hey, thank you so much for uh, for having this conversation with me tonight. I really enjoyed it. A lot of good stuff, man. And um, um, why don't you take a minute and just tell people, you know, where they can find you either on social media, if you have a website, if you have an email list, your books, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, you know, I've got all the socials. Um, my website is allsetfree.com. Uh, you can get all my books there. And um, Facebook, it's, uh, you know, they, I, I wasn't able to do a normal handle. So if you just look up Matthew J. DiStefano, find it there. But Instagram and Twitter, it's MJ underscore DiStefano. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if, if you just, if you find me on, you, you find me on Facebook most of the time. Yeah, um, that's that's where I kind of do most of my interactions with people. Yeah, but yeah. And then you have a author page on Amazon or just look up Matthew J. DiStefano and you'll find your books. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You'll okay. you'll find them all on there, and uh, I do have an author page. I don't even remember the the website, but um, yeah, I don't just look up Matthew. Day. <laughs> yeah, the ones about theology and and philosophy and spirituality are mine. The ones about biology homework help is not mine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell everyone too. The rapper's not me. The <laughs> theology guy is me. So, <laughs> also, man, do you have a Patreon? I do. Yeah, it's patreon.com slash uh, mj distefano. Okay. And I encourage everybody. Yeah. 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 Get on and support guys who do what we're doing. It's, um, you know, it's not free to do it. It's not always easy to do it. And any support anyone offers really, really means the world. And like literally sometimes even when someone just pledges a dollar, I know that might not seem like much to the person who does it, but it really goes a long way to even kind of lift the spirits of the person on the other side, because it just okay. lets you know someone believes in and supports what you're doing. So I plan on supporting you this month, man, because I believe in what you're doing and, and I love it. And I have nothing but uh, total respect for you, man. So um, again, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having the conversation. It was awesome. Really appreciated some good insights. And I'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me some time to chat with you. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, things that you have going on in the future and that this that this podcast is getting launched man all right awesome thanks again man thanks everybody for listening peace